Hey guys, welcome back to Behind the Screen, um, our first episode in, I think, five months it's been. Um, today, uh, me, I'm Quinn Haba, I'm just back doing a solo episode um, today because I've tried for five months to get uh, Matthew and Andrew to, to do a show. Um, it, it never really works out, so um, here I am, five months later, uh, doing the first episode, you know, in a, in a very long time. So uh, I thought today, since it's just me, I would kind of go over, I'm, I've been keeping a, uh, a film journal, if you will, of uh, the movies that I've, I've been watching during the pandemic. Um, and uh, in doing so, I've started to keep track, a list in the journal of uh, my favorite mil- uh, movies that I've watched. So gonna go over these and then you guys can learn a bit a little bit more about you know my taste in film and who I am you know as a person I guess if you're if you're into that uh and then we're gonna transition into something a little different but so uh not all of these I've watched in quarantine these are just ones that I've watched in general some I've watched in quarantine um but these are just my favorite films and these are not in order I just these just kind of wrote down as they came into my mind so um die hard Die Hard is by far my favorite action movie ever. It came out in 1988, and uh, kind of it was the first movie that that Bruce Willis was in. You guys may know him. Um, definitely his his most iconic movie that he's ever been in. Um, but Die Hard is just super, you know, revolutionary. I'd say. I mean, this movie, you know, made action movies smarter. I think, and I've talked about this a couple times on the show, just because it is it is truly phenomenal. Would highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, Die Hard. There we go. Uh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Um, before I watched Die Hard, Jurassic Park was my favorite movie ever, um, and this was because I'm not super into dinosaurs. Um, I, n- I never really have been, but just the kind of realistic swashbuckler like feel of this movie you know it was it was super adventurous and you know just super entertaining to watch but the characters in it weren't um you know they were they were completely out of their out of their comfort zone in this thing although they had knowledge you know because they were all dinosaur um what's that called when you dig up dinosaurs for a living archaeologist yeah they're all archaeologists except for jeff goldblum but he gets a pass just because he's he's jeff goldblum but they knew enough about kind of how to survive in this environment, but besides that, they were they were completely, um, you know, they they had no idea what they were doing, and that that kind of mix of uh, experience and and inexperience in this di- you know dinosaur island created a super cool and uh, and frankly realistic, um, I guess, adventure movie. And the soundtrack's also awesome. Uh, shout out John Williams uh, for making that dope soundtrack. All right, next, The Shawshank Redemption. Um, I watched this movie coming back from a plane. Uh, or I watched this movie on a plane coming back from from Los Angeles after a tennis tournament, and um, it 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 quite literally blew me away. I <laughs> it's about a three hour movie, roughly. It's pretty long. And the plane ride was was like two hours and I don't know th- 
20 minutes or something. So I watched everything except the last 20 minutes of the movie, which if you've seen this movie, you know that the last 20 minutes are the most important and make you know the biggest difference. And so I had to wait about a month before I was on vacation again and this show was on cable and I was able to watch the ending and you know it was you know it was the much awaited ending right I I I didn't know what was going to happen um but this movie was was super awesome Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman starting this movie both gave absolutely phenomenal performances and as you can probably tell from the title the Shawshank Redemption um it's about a guy Tim Robbins he's wrongfully convicted and put in this this prison um Shawshank prison and he um basically I don't want to spoil it, but he breaks out and the movie is all about him uh, basically redeeming himself in society. And it's it's just super, um, it's super good. It makes you feel really good. Uh, right. Next one is the, the, the Django Unchained. I'm not sure if I pronounce it. Django Unchained, I think is how you pronounce it, actually. Um, this is the first Quentin Tarantino movie that we see on this list. There will be more, um, but... This movie also kind of like Shawshank Redemption. Um, it was a redemption movie, you know. It was um, Django was a was a slave. This this takes place back in you know the South in the eighteen fifties or sixties, I believe. And um, I mean, I don't want to spoil the movie again, but this movie also has themes of redemption, and it's also just sort of awesome, you know, in terms of action. And this guy Django, he kicks ass all the time, so that's super cool. That's that's one of the reasons why I, I love this movie. Um, and who was Jamie Fox? I think played Django. Um, I know Quentin Tarantino is very particular about the people that he picks to play characters in his movies, and I think Jamie Fox was an absolutely perfect fit for this. He really lived up to this role of uh, Django, who was this kind of, you know. He was a he was a slave, but he's like you know I want more and I'm gonna get it, and he did because this guy's awesome. Um, next one, Back to the Future. Now, uh, oh, I've got to mention I have a Die Hard poster in my room. Basically, you know that I love a movie if I have a poster of it in my room, and I have a Die Hard poster, I have a Back to the Future poster, and um, I mean we all love we've all seen Back to the Future. I think you should. Um, it's it's sort of the law, but th- it's it's one of the most iconic '80s movies of all time, and it, you know, it's 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 just so fun. You know, you can't help but have a smile on your face when you're watching this movie, because um, it's it's not goofy, but it's just it's not funny either. It's not like you're laughing. It just makes you smile because of you know something. That's um, one of the magic of these uh these these movies from the 80s you know it's a steven spielberg movie um done by universal you can actually if you go to universal studios in california you can take a tour through the set um hill valley california where you know it's filmed they just have it on the lot at universal studios um and you can see it you can see the car too but um this movie is there's just so many things that are iconic about it that's what i love and I have a poster about it because the poster's cool. Next one, I also have a poster for this one, and this movie is uh, quite quite impactful to me. 
and the movie's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And for um, people who, you know, love... Mm, how do I put this? You know, Ferris Bueller is, is a certain kind of character um, who you can't help, even though he's, he's not always doing the right thing. He, you know, you love him. He's a, he's a lovable character. And this movie came out in 1986. So also a, another hugely iconic 80s movie. Possibly the most iconic 80s movie, depending on who you ask. Um, I'd say it's top three. Um, but directed by John Hughes. John Hughes was, to put it lightly, a genius. I mean, this guy, you know, came into the film industry with, you know, very little, uh, very little prior filmmaking experience. But this guy was just a fabulous writer. I mean, the movies he wrote, he wrote all these himself. He wrote all these movies and then directed them. And they were all teen movies, you know. So he, he did Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club. Um, what else did he do? He did something else with Molly Molly Ringwald that I forget right now. But um, if you've seen these movies, you know that these are all uh, 80s movies. And they're all iconic for being simply 80s movies. And they're all teen movies too. I'm not sure why John Hughes was so you know intent on making movies for teenagers, but I'm sure glad he did because they're awesome. Um but they all, the themes of all these movies is, um, you know, is something relevant to, to teenagers. So I suppose that's, that's one of the reasons why he made them. But Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I still think about what the message or, you know, theme of this film is. Um, but I suppose it could be. Mm, yeah, see, I, I, I don't really know. I got to put some more thought into it. But, um, you know, everyone is, is free to make their own opinion for that one. But this movie is super awesome. And it's, you know, it's also just fun to watch. And uh, the character of Ferris Bueller is, is super great, you know, because it, you see him in these movies or in, in this movie. And you can't help but like really want to be Ferris Bueller because you're like, this guy rules. He just does what he wants. And, you know, he, he doesn't really have to, you know, he doesn't get in trouble for this kind of stuff basically. And he, he just lives, you know, like there's, like there's no tomorrow. Um, but not in a bad way, you know, but this guy just, just has fun, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love this movie. It's because I actually look up to this guy, Ferris Bueller. He's a role model of mine, although he's a fictional character. Um, his his persona, I've been trying to, to follow and capture his persona, you know, ever since I saw this movie, which was about a year ago. Um, I don't think I've done a very good job, <laughs> um, but we're getting there someday. Someday we'll do it. All right, next one is James Bond, The Spy Who Loved Me. Now, this is um, by far, no debate, the best James Bond movie um, ever. This came out in 1977. Um, 
which James Bond was it? Well, um, it was Roger Moore. That's right, the blonde-haired guy from the seventies. Um, he, I'm not really sure about him being James Bond. He was great in this movie, which I, was one of the the last movies that Roger Moore did. But this movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, um, introduced a bunch of the more um, iconic. James Bond kind of stuff you know he's always got cool gadgets and he's always doing cool stuff because this James Bond the James Bond movies invented you know action movies basically they invented spy movies so every single spy movie slash action movie that you've seen ever you know dates back to James Bond um Dr. No that was the first one with Sean Connery in 1962 um but the spy who loved me um, James Bond, he, you know, goes off to save the world from nuclear, you know, abomination, basically, which is something that he does quite frequently, I've noticed. About every other movie, he's he's trying to save the world from some crazy nuclear guy. But in this case, it's a nuclear guy who has, who wants to build a city underwater. And what he's got to do is you know, basically infiltrate this, this guy's base and blow it up. And he does it in the most, like, classic James Bond 70s, you know, just flawlessly and effortlessly way. And um, he's got the underwater submarine, the, 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 the Lotus Esprit, which fans of James Bond know this car as the probably the coolest Bond car Besides just his classic 1965 uh, DB5 that he drives around. Um, next one, next movie is Beverly Hills Cop. Um, now, I, the story for this one is I was at my cabin in Leavenworth. And it was really hot, you know, because it, it gets hot there in the summer. And so my family had gone to bed. And I was like, it's still really hot. I got to cool down. So I'll just watch a movie you know, before it gets cool enough so I can go to sleep. So I never seen this movie before. There's at my cabin, there's like a bunch of VHS tapes um, from, you know, way back when. And so I was like, okay, Beverly Hills Cop, it had uh, Eddie Murphy in it, who is uh, pretty, pretty dope, basically. Um, and he, he plays this street smart cop from Detroit, um, who goes to Beverly Hills to uh, try to track down the killers of his, his best friend. His best friend was killed by some guys. And he goes to Beverly Hills to try to track him down. And the Beverly Hills Police Department keeps getting in this guy's way. Because, you know, he's he's doing basically police work. But he's not actively a police officer in Beverly Hills. You know, he's a Detroit cop. So the Beverly Hills Police Department actually you know, they keep getting in his way and they're like, you stop, we'll just deal with this. But, um, he, he just keeps figuring out ways to, you know, his, this guy doesn't give up. He's a cool guy. He's a cool character. He's nice to everyone. That's one of the coolest things about him. He's just, he's, he's nice, but he's funny. And, you know, he's definitely one of those guys that you could go out, get a beer with and, you know, it'd be all cool. Um, you know, the writing in this movie is super clever and, and witty and his uh, cheeky, cocky charm that his character displays um, throughout his 
uh, mission trying to, you know, find the guy who killed his best friend is, uh, is super enjoyable. And you, you know, um, I know I've said this a lot, but there's no really better way to explain it, but you, you, you just can't help but like, you know, smile while watching this movie and just like, you know, feel, feel good. Uh, I don't know. And uh, I'm, I'm no expert here, but you know, if this movie slaps, would definitely watch it. Also, an iconic 80s movie. <laughs> you guys might be detecting a theme here. Um, I like movies from the 80s very much. They're very good. All right, next up, we got The Breakfast Club. Oh, where do I start with The Breakfast Club? This movie is, it is, it's so good. I mean, another John Hughes movie came out in 1985, and everything about this movie just screams 80s. I mean, from the opening scene to the end, um, you know, right at the beginning, they hit us with, you know, simple minds. Don't you forget about me, which, you know, probably everyone would have forgot about simple minds if it were not for the breakfast club, you know, because every single high school class of the eighties, you know, that, that was their senior song, right? Was don't you forget about me. Um, and I'll play it right here. So you see, so you guys can remember what it is. So yeah, that's the song. Um, but if you've ever seen this movie, you can um, imagine that it, you know it's it's pretty cliche. A lot of people don't like this movie uh, because of its just sort of cliche and um, very simple message. Which basically the movie is about stereotypes. Uh, because the whole premise of the film is it's Saturday detention at this high school and you have five different kids. You have a geek whose name is Brian. Um, you have a jock, Emilio Estevez, phenomenal. Um, you have a basket case, I guess is what they call it, which is just sort of a person who has a bunch of stuff in their purse and is weird. You have, a, you know, like the, the pretty popular girl played by Molly Ringwald, who, you know, everyone, everyone loved in the 80s for some reason. Um, she's a pretty good actress. And basically a criminal. And the criminal is played by Judd Nelson. And I think, I think Judd Nelson's character, his name is um, John in the movie, John Bender. He is, um, he is the meat and potatoes of this movie because the, the movie's about... Ugh, stereotypes and so it's detention and the principal puts them in the library and says okay you guys have to write a paper about like why whatever you did was wrong you know we don't actually really know what they did wrong until the end of the movie when they all talk about it but immediately john bender the the rebel criminal guy just starts making a fool of himself and basically, you know, being, being, you know, a bully pretty much. And pretty quickly, it's, it's kind of like Stockholm syndrome, except without like the captor, which I guess in this case would be the principal, but they don't like him. But all of these kids, since they're in detention together, you know, they're in the same boat. So they all form a pretty close relationship with each other. 
for this day. And pretty quickly, they all find out that this, you know, um, John Bender, th this rebel, you know, he only acts like this because he's scared or something. And, you know, he, he puts up this defense. And throughout the movie, his defense is kind of lowered as he gets comfortable with these people and they get comfortable with him. And John Bender's problem is that no one accepts him. You know, he's, he's got an unhappy home life. His parents don't accept him. His peers don't accept him. You know, teachers don't accept him because in this time in the eighties, it was, it was basically the dark ages. You know, if you weren't basically a, you know, regular person, no one really liked you. Um, and John Bender is, is no regular person. He's a criminal, right? And so at the end of the movie, him, him and the, uh, the prom queen, as we call her, Molly Ringwald, the, the pretty popular girl, John Bender's hitting on her like the entire movie. And finally, at the beginning, she's like, I don't like you. You're, you're mean and stuff. But she, she begins to, to see the, uh, the good person in, inside of him. And, you know, he's able to, to let that show once this girl accepts him because no, he, he's never had anyone accept him before. And now this person accepts him. And at the, you know, this is probably, in my opinion, one of the, one of the best uh, moments in cinema history. But at the end of the movie, when, you know, they all go home, their parents pick them up. It's the end of the tension. Um, Judd Nelson and Molly Ringwald, um, the, the criminal and the prom queen, they kiss. And right in front of their parents, weirdly, which, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. I, w I would never do that. Um, but we see John Bender walking home. And don't you forget about me, he's playing again. And he's walking across the the football field and he throws his hand in the air, punches the air, and you can feel him you can feel his emo you know, you, you can emphasize with him and you're like, Yes, you did it, dude. And um I I felt just awesome when I watched this. I I felt super, super impacted by this by this movie that was supposedly a cliche and, and just, you know, had a message that was not, was not unique. And I knew, I already knew everything about it, but at this, at this moment, when, when John Bender threw his hand up, it, I, I just felt moved, you know, and I'm sure a bunch of other people were, it's, it's the most iconic scene from that movie. So when he throws his hand up and you've got, don't you, forget about me playing in the background and you know so 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 that's how you know his character because he's not a main character but he he's kind of the one that the movie focuses on and so for that reason and many other reasons i think this movie is one of the best movies ever made although many people might disagree all right then that's a wrap for uh, part one of quinn's favorite movies I'm going to split this show into three parts because when I recorded it, it was like an hour long. I wasn't expecting it to go that long. I was <laughs> thought it was going to be like 20 minutes. Um, so I'm just going to do a three, three, three 20 minute parts. 
So this is the end of part one. You can go listen to part two right now. Peace.